everyone. So good to see you today. Hannah, you are going to hurt your wife if you keep jumping on her. Like, Hannah, I know you're strong, but um, if you have any, go ahead and stand up, guys. If you guys don't know this young couple, two weeks ago in Birmingham, they got married. This is Hannah and Hannah Sanderson. They've been working with us since January. They came and started a new job in the strangest year of your life, our life. Um, we love you guys. We're so happy for you. Um, don't hurt your wife as you jump on her. All right, go ahead and be seated. Um, hey, I'm so glad you're here today. For those of you in our online church family, good morning. We're glad that you're with us. You know, something interesting has happened in 2020. During our 13 weeks of kind of just online church, and then with so many people continuing to watch online, we have people in our church who have started going to church with people that they haven't gone to church with in 50 years because they live in different cities, but now they go to church together online. Uh, one of those people is Tammy in Reno. Um, very early good morning to you, Tammy, watching the 8 a.m. this morning. Her sister, Terry um, Cummings, leads our grief share ministry at our church, and they've lived in different cities for decades. But during our shutdown season, she said, hey, let's go to church together. We can watch the same service at the same time. We can text and talk during church. So we have people now all over the country who are going to church with their family who lives in Kansas City, and we are glad that you are joining us. We're in week five of a series called The Way of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Again, pull your notes out of your book. Bulletin so you can follow along. Here's the premise. Here's the whole purpose of this series. We are trying to learn the ways of Jesus so that we can live life like Jesus because we are followers of Jesus. And I think today's beatitude, we're in a series studying the beatitudes of Matthew chapter five will help your life and my life feel more like the life of Jesus to people in our lives than any other week previously, because we're going to learn about mercy today. Say the, say the name Jesus. Jesus. This whole series is about Jesus in living it in a way that when people interact with us, they learn something about Jesus. Today we're learning about Jesus and we're learning about his mercy. Here are the goals of today's message as we dig in. Number one, um, we want to learn about mercy from the past. What is mercy? Where is it shown to us in scripture? Number two, we want to live as merciful in our present. We want to learn about it so we can become it, so people might know who Jesus is. And then number three, we want to learn to look forward to the mercy of the future, the mercy of the end time. So today is learning about Jesus, learning about his mercy, so we can live like him, so people in our life might feel his love, his heart, his mercy through us. Before we ever dig into scripture at our church, we'd like to pray and ask God to just speak to our hearts. Would you bow your heads with me here and those of you watching online as we pray? Would you take a deep breath today if you haven't done that yet? Your pen, you might circle that word, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. My journey with mercy, for those of you who maybe are in your forties, might look a little bit like yours. You say, where did you first learn the word or the concept of mercy. For me, it was in elementary school. We used to play a game where you locked hands with friends and then you turn those hands upside down to see who was the first one to yell. Mercy. So you all played the game too. It was, it was when you needed someone to give you some relief because they felt like they were going to break your hands or dislocate your fingers. You would say, mercy, mercy, mercy. And they would let up. That was my, my, as I think about mercy in my life, that's the first time I remember hearing the word or using the word mercy. The second time would be because we lived in a full house generation. There was this guy named Jesse. And when Jesse, when Jesse would see, and he was always looking for good looking girls, but when Jesse would see a good looking woman walk by, he would say, have mercy, have mercy. Now, while that doesn't really explain the biblical meaning of the word, when you understand the biblical meaning of the world, you'll, you'll understand what he was saying because he was asking 
that the girls he was looking at would feel for him what he was feeling for them. Probably the best picture of mercy in my lifetime came from one of my favorite movies ever, uh, The Gladiator, with Russell Crowe. It came out in 2000. And there was a scene in this movie where uh, Maximus, this great Roman general, had become a slave. He'd become a gladiator. And he was competing before the emperors, the, the new emperor of Rome, which was the emperor's son who he served, um, in the gladiatorial games. And he had gotten to the point where he was ready to kill uh, one of his fellow gladiators. And remember, the, the emperor would stand and he'd give the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And he had defeated the guy laying on the ground. And he looked at the emperor and he said, down, kill him. And he took the spear in his hand and threw it on the ground. And he didn't kill someone who had a, a sentence of death handed down by a higher power. And the crowd began to shout, Maximus the merciful, Maximus the merciful. That's probably the best picture of mercy. Someone who, even though someone has been sentenced and judged by a higher authority to have damage, even up to the point of death done on their life, someone who will say, no, I'm going to choose not to inflict that pain, not to inflict that punishment on them. Let me, let me give you the words that Matthew used and the history of why he used it. Because I think that's even going to help more when we look at this word, mercy. The word mercy in the Greek language is eleemon, eleemon. But it's a word in the Greek language that came from the Hebrew word hesed. Here's what it means, and I'm going to tell you how we got it and why I'm giving it to you in two languages. It means to give help to the neglected and to rescue the helpless. It is compassion in action. If you remember anything, that's, I mean, that's the line. It's compassion in action. Mercy's not feeling anything, it's doing something. Amen? Mercy's not feeling anything, it's doing something. It's compassion in action, it's meeting people's needs. Now, I don't know if you all heard, but there's an election Tuesday um, that you might not have been aware of. You might look it up on, like on, you know, the Google later when you go home and you'll, you'll see all the facts that are surrounding it. Um, and there's a lot of fear and a lot of tension and a lot of anxiety regarding this election what's going to happen, and how it's going to impact people spiritually. This word, I think, helps us with a little bit of trust. Uh, by the way, tomorrow, Monday morning prayer, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to tell you how I'm voting. I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for, but I'm going to tell you how I have learned to vote over the last 20 years. And at 8 a.m. prayer, 6 a.m. prayer tomorrow, Monday morning prayer, um, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray very specifically for the election but I'm going to walk you through how I vote in the spiritual perspective I use as I vote. But this, I think this word has a little picture for us because you say, well, okay, Christian, is it the Greek word or is it the Hebrew word? It's both, but the Greek word borrowed from the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word's better. 300 years before Jesus was born, there was a Greek king in Egypt named Ptolemy II. His dad was one of the four generals in Alexander the Great's army. Uh, he was the general over North Africa when Alexander the Great died at a very young age, and he took over that region, and his son took over for him. And they had already begun in 300 B.C. to Hellenize the world, and one of the things that Alexander the Great wanted is he wanted to be able to ride his horse into any territory that he owned, get down off his horse, and speak to people face-to-face without an interpreter because he didn't trust them. So he created a language called Koine Greek. The word Koine means common. He wanted he wanted to be able to speak face-to-face with the whole world. So they taught this whole world this common language, Koine Greek, common Greek. It's kind of the English of its day. Every place had their language and Koine Greek. And in Alexandria, um, North North Africa, uh, the greatest library in the history of the world was assembled and built. It had the greatest books in the history of the world. And one of the things that the Greeks wanted to do is they wanted to translate every writing in the history of the world 
into Greek. And one of the things they had, but that was not in Greek, were the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, um, the Old Testament, the Tanakh is what they call it, um, in Israel today. But it was only in Hebrew. So they said, let's get that in Greek so we can put it in our library so everyone can know about the Jewish God. At the same time, there were a lot of Jewish people who had moved at the time of Jeremiah down to Egypt. They'd become Hellenized. And they wanted to practice Judaism, but they really couldn't read and write Hebrew very well. So they decided to put together a Greek copy of the Old Testament. They called it the Septuagint. Uh, Septa means 70. They had 70 Israeli scholars come write it together in the Greek language. And by the time of Jesus, the whole world was reading and writing Greek and everyone understood all the Hebrew prophecies about the Jewish Messiah. It could not have happened without Alexander the Great conquering the world and saying, let's teach them our language. The Jews in Israel had rejected the Septuagint because they said Hebrew is God's language. And if this thing gets out of hand, man, like God will not be able to work anymore. And by the time of Jesus, Matthew writes, not in Hebrew, but in Greek, he writes the Greek word Eleemon, Eleemon, which is the Hebrew word hesed. This is one of the many, many things in history that shows us when it feels like God is losing control. He has the world right where he wants it. And this Tuesday night, this Wednesday night, this Thursday, a month from Tuesday, it may feel again like God is losing control. And it may feel like all the spiritual moorings we have are being translated and culturalized into something else. But you need to know, maybe not in our lifetime, might not know it till two or 300 years from now. God has the world right where he wants it. So what is this word hesed that was translated into elimon that Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. It's a Hebrew word that almost can't be translated because it, um, it's a word that conveys three things. I want you to write these down. It's a word that conveys sympathy, empathy, therapy. Empathy, sympathy, therapy. It's unlike any other word in the Hebrew Bible. It's actually translated in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew to, to English language lots of different ways. Loving kindness, grace, um, like unending love, never ending love, mercy. But it means sympathy, empathy, therapy. See, so what does that mean? Here's what Hesed is trying to say. It is saying that somebody has looked at you with sympathy. They see that you're hurting, but it's more than that. As they look at you with sympathy, they begin to have empathy. They actually feel where you're hurting. They feel how you're hurting. And more than that, as they do that, they know the cure to help you. They don't just see that you're hurting and feel your hurt. They have the ability to fix it. That's, that's Hesed. It's the picture. Here's the picture. It's the picture of somebody seeing that you're hurting, crawling inside your skin so they can feel exactly what it is. Remember parents, your kids waking up in the middle of the night saying, I have a tummy ache, but you like the, like they couldn't, they couldn't explain to you enough how they felt in order for you to help them. This is God looking at humanity and realizing their pain and saying, okay, I've got to get inside their skin to feel what they're feeling. But then once they get inside our skin, he steps outside of our skin and says, now I know exactly how to help and I have the power to do so. I see you're hurting. I step inside your skin to feel it. And then I step outside to heal it. You say, who in the world could do that? It's a Hebrew word that's almost impossible to translate. But a Hebrew man named Jesus would come and he would do it. According to Hebrews chapter 4, we would see chesed in action. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help us in our time of need. Listen, folks, because Jesus loves you and because Jesus knows you and because Jesus sees your hurt, he has crawled inside the skin of humanity so he could experience your hurt, so he could experience your temptation, so he could experience what the broken, crushing world of culture feels like on you. And then he has stepped back outside of that so he can be the perfect person to meet and heal and comfort your needs. Amen? Jesus is the picture of chesed, elimon. He's the picture of mercy, sympathy and empathy and therapy at the exact same time. He sees that you're hurting. He feels you're hurting. He's able to help it. Mercy. It's a huge word in the Old Testament. One of the first times it's used in our English Bibles is in Genesis 43, 14. Jacob has a son, Simeon, who's been put into prison. And now he thinks he's going to have to send another son to prison. So he says this to his 11 sons. May God Almighty grant you mercy may see that we're hurting, may feel that we're hurting, may do something about our hurt. May God Almighty grant us mercy before the man he's talking about, Joseph. He doesn't know it's a son at the time so that he'll let you, uh, he'll let your other brother, Simeon and Benjamin, come back with you. May God see that we are hurting. May God feel that we are hurting. May God do something about our hurt. Later in Deuteronomy, Moses will say to all the people of Israel that, that when you run from God and do your own thing and, and it breaks everything in your life, If you'll come back to God, the Lord will turn his fierce anger from you. He will show you mercy and he will have compassion on you. In both instances, in Genesis 43 and in Deuteronomy chapter 13, man has royally messed up and brought pain on themselves. And in both cases, we're told God sees the pain. That's our fault. He feels the pain. That's our fault but he's willing to step in and fix the pain that is our fault. Probably the best place where God describes himself as merciful, willing to get in the mess of our life is in Exodus chapter 33. Before I give you Exodus chapter 33, let me set it up. It's a pretty big chapter in scripture. There's four places in scripture where we see what I call God encounters, where God, God the Father and humanity are in the same place at the same time. The first is obviously Eden. We've kind of walked through Adam and Eve in that season. The second letter B is Sinai, where God actually comes down on the mountain with all the people of Israel. The third is going to be in Jesus, obviously. And the fourth is going to be um, to be continued. I'll, I'll give you that one at, at the end of the message. In Exodus chapter 33, we're at number two. We're between God and his people and Jesus on the Mount of Beatitudes and his people. The only other time God came down and was with all his people was at Sinai. And we see in Sinai really the teaching of the Beatitudes. A couple weeks ago in the same Exodus narrative, we met Moses who we called Moses the meek, who at 40 tried to do life in his own strength for his own purposes. And by 80 was willing to use his strength for God's purposes because doing life his way for himself and for his family and for everything that he just wanted in his hands wasn't working so well. So we see Moses the meek. About a year after we see Moses the meek, very, very sadly, Moses the meek has become Moses in need of mercy. And let me walk you through his story because I think some of you are there. I think some of, I think some of us here, I think some of us online are right where Moses was in need of mercy in Exodus chapter 33. Here's what happened as Moses' story walks through the, the Beatitudes. Moses meets God on the backside of the desert. God says, I want you to go rescue the Israeli people from the Egyptians. And Moses says, Moses is poor in spirit. And he says, I can't, I've tried, I failed, I can't do it. 
And God said, that's the right spirit. I can use that. You, you can go. Moses and his brother Aaron, they, they, they then began to mourn over the brokenness of the people of Israel who were mourning over their own brokenness. Blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. God sent him a comforter and said, we're going to, we're going to take you out of here. And then because of Moses meekness, because he surrendered the desires of his heart to God, God began to use him. And about a year after that, they get to Mount Sinai and they are hungering and thirsting for two things. One, they're hungering and thirsting for bread and water. They're starving. They're in the desert but they're hungering and thirsting to make sure that God won't leave them. How do we know you're going to help us? How do we know you're going to be here with us? So God calls Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai and for 40 days. He helps him understand his standards of righteousness that they have to live by, walk by, to have him in their midst, to have God in the camp. By the time this 40 days is over, the people have grown tired of waiting and they've made an idol for themselves. It's a golden calf. They're worshiping it and said, we don't need to follow God anymore. Let's choose this one. Let's go. Moses walks down the mountain with the standards of righteousness, hunger and a thirst to have God in the camp. Here's God's standards, these tablets of commandments. He sees the people worshiping the golden calf and he throws them down and he breaks them. He basically begins to throw a spiritual temper tantrum. He says this, God, you've given us your standards. We are your people. We can't do it. And like, if, if you ever had, like we have one kid, only one, our daughter, who every now and then would stomp when she was little. Do you have, any of you have a stomper in your life that when, like when your little kid, when they get said, they just stomp a little bit. Moses stomped his foot and said, God, we can't do it. Your standards are too much. Yes, we want you. Yes, we desire you. Yes, we need you. Man, we're poor in spirit. We're mourning over brokenness. We'll surrender all our stuff. But if we have to live to your standards, we can't do it. We messed it up. And God says, get back up here. Most of how are we going to do it? We can't do it your way. You're asking too much. We can't do it. And God says, come back up here. We'll work it out. And Moses says to him, one of the greatest verses in Scripture in Exodus 33, then show me your glory. Remember, the word glory means weight or matter. Show me how you're going to... God says, we're going to figure it out. Moses, show me. Show me how we're going to do this. Because I don't think we can. And God says to him in Exodus 30, 19, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Moses said, we can't do it. And God says, you don't need to, I will. Because I'm merciful. And I see you're hurting. And one day my son's going to crawl in your skin and he's going to feel your hurt. And I have the ability to help you. You're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to show my mercy to you as I do it. I'm going to show my compassion in action to you as I do it. Listen, last week, some of you got to the point where you wanted to throw down your way of Jesus. Listen, you like, Journey, you have to understand how much I love you as a people and how much I want you to follow Jesus. I told you last week at the beginning of the message it would be a hard message for some. Do you think I would preach a message like that without having prayed for it for months and months and months? That the Spirit of God would, would kind of protect and guard your hearts as I preach hard truth? Do you not think I, do you think I preach a message like that without being willing with our ministry team to have conversations afterward for months and months of months for people who looked at God's standards of righteousness and dropped the tablets and thought, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do that. If that was you last week, you have walked to the door of a spiritual relationship called mercy where God says, you don't have to. You don't have to carry those standards perfectly. 
because I'm going to have mercy on whom I'm going to have mercy. And I'm going to have compassion on whom I'm going to have compassion. And listen, you're going to be okay. It's not going to be easy, but we're going to make it. See, this week shows you how Jesus carries you through things you can't carry yourself through. But it does that so that you can begin to carry other people in the exact same way. See, here's one of the major, maybe the biggest problem with a Christianity that does not want to recognize sin in ourselves or in others. Christians who don't recognize sin in themselves cannot accept mercy because they don't think they need it. They think God loves them as they are. There's nothing wrong with them. There's no brokenness. God didn't have to crawl in their skin because he loves their skin. Christians who don't recognize sin can't receive mercy, and Christians who haven't received mercy can't give mercy, which means you better hope you are perfect in their eyes because when you let them down once, you're out because they don't serve a God who loves them even though they've let him down, so they need to treat others that way. They serve a God who loves them in their perfection, and they relationally expect everyone else to live in that same kind of perfection. And they don't know how to give grace. They don't know how to show mercy because they've never received it themselves. Chesed, sympathy, empathy, therapy. I see it, I feel it. I can help it. Moses says, I need mercy. God says, I can give mercy. But then what Jesus says is once you receive mercy, number two, you're willing to live mercifully. See, once you've, once you've received mercy, you're willing to live mercifully in your present. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are people who've said, God, I can't do it. And God says, my mercy will do it for you. Because those will be the people who, when circumstances cause relationships in their life to want to fracture, they'll be the ones who say, listen, I know you cannot live up to the standards I have for you. But because God has shown me mercy, I want to show you mercy. Marcellus Casey, the chaplain of the Kansas City Chiefs, a black leader in our town, will be here preaching on November 15th. He was supposed to be here a few weeks ago. He got COVID. He'll be here in two weeks preaching on the Beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn. He's going to teach us how to mourn what's happening in our country with with racial tension. I can't wait for him to be here and to speak into our church. I have been with a few dozen people in our church the last few Sunday nights going through a Bible study um, called Undivided where a group of black pastors and white pastors are just leading us through what it looks like to be united racially in God's church. It's been a phenomenal two weeks. We've got three more weeks. I cannot wait for the next three weeks. For those of you who say, I want to grow in this area, next spring we'll offer it again. I like, I cannot encourage you enough, especially for those of you who have teenagers, bring them with you to come sit and listen to these pastors and ministry leaders, men and women of all ages, black and white, talk about what's going on and what's got to be done to do better. One of the pastors who's on this, uh, in, in this video teaching curriculum is named Derwin Gray, and he is awesome. Um, he's, he's a guy who, uh, he, he laughs. He's, he's a, a, a big black guy who was born and raised in Texas. He went to BYU to play football, and he became a Christian. He said, I was the only black Christian, like on the entire campus, like in, in, like in Utah. In Utah. Um, but he fell in love with his wife. His wife, I think we're in track there. They got married. They started a church just across the state line from Charlotte. Um, and he, he's just, he's a great leader in the Christian world today. Played, I think, six years in the NFL, and now he's an unbelievable teacher of, of God's word and God's truth. And he told a story last week in week two of our Bible study where he said he ran into a white pastor at a restaurant. He was leaving breakfast with somebody. Um, and he said this pastor who he didn't know um, interrupted him as I was walking out and said, can I, 
share a word with you. He said, sure. And he said, what do you need? And he said, I need to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. And he said, why? And he said, I was reading a book that you had written and I was being so blessed by it. And about halfway through the book, I found out you were black. And for some reason, it changed my entire perspective of everything I was reading. And he said, I told my wife and she said, you need to repent before God because that's sin in your heart. And she said, then you need to find that man and you need to repent to him. So I'm asking you for your forgiveness. And he said, he tears welled up in his eyes, tears welled up in mine. And he said, I put my arms around that man and I whispered into his ears, if Jesus can forgive me for all that I've done to him, I can certainly forgive you of what you've done to me. Merciful that only comes from being shown mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, it's hard to forgive someone who's hurt you when you don't believe you are in need of any forgiveness for any reason from God. It breaks the chain of mercy that God wants to continue, not just to us, but through us. The principle of being merciful is I can't even begin to live for Jesus without his mercy to me, which means I cannot continue to live for Jesus without his mercy through me. Amen? See, I think the problem in our world, the reason so many in the Christian world today are not showing mercy is they don't even think they need it from God Almighty. And if they don't need it, they can't receive it. And if they haven't received it, they can't give it. And I'm telling you, we live in a world that needs mercy. We live in a world that needs someone to see their hurt, crawl inside their skin and feel their hurt, and then step back out and say, I know someone who can heal your hurt, and his name is Jesus. He's healed mine, and he can heal yours. Amen? Like, that's what our world needs, but it starts. It starts with throwing down the commandments and saying, we can't do it your way. And God's saying, that's okay, because I'm going to have mercy on you. You're going to see my compassion in your action. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, you say, how big a deal is this? In the New Testament letters, the unmerciful were seen as both ungodly and in trouble. The New Testament writer said, if you don't have mercy, one, you, it's because you're ungodly. And two, you're in trouble. You say, Christian, where's that? Romans chapter one, we read this big text of people who are ungodly. Here's what it says about them. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. That sounds bad. It is. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. That sounds bad. It is. They're gossips, slanders, God haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. That sounds bad. It is. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love. What's the last two words? No mercy. Ungodly people have no mercy, show no mercy. They've received no mercy because they haven't asked for mercy, so they can't give it to anyone else. Pastor Mark Driscoll says, we live in an age where people want more grace than ever but are unwilling to give any to anyone else. Please show me some grace, but I'm unwilling to give any to anyone else. Ungodly people have no mercy. And James says, you're in trouble, man. If you're a Christian who doesn't show mercy, you're in trouble. You're in trouble because judgment without mercy is going to be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, God in mercy, when Moses threw down the commandments, God in mercy said, I'm going to choose your surrender. I'm going to choose your surrender and your repentance in place of your perfection. I'll send my son to do the perfect thing. I'll choose your surrender and your repentance in place of your perfection. I'll be merciful to you. Mercy triumphs over judgment and treatment from God that we should deserve, that we've earned. And mercy from us 
should triumph over our judgment and our treatment of others even when it is deserved. You say, man, I want to be that. How can I do that? Let me give you 10 ways. You can kind of fill out this grid as you just kind of listen to me walk through this today. Put your glasses on if you don't have them or pull out your binoculars. 10 ways to be merciful this week. Say, I want to be merciful this week. 10 ways to be merciful this week. Number one, help somebody neglected. You say, who? The first person you see who's experienced neglect. Help them this week. Show tangible compassion. Don't feel for someone. Help someone. Do something for someone. Number three, meet a need. Just just find one and meet one. Number four, relieve pain. Just find someone who's hurting and figure out a way to relieve pain, if even for a moment. I love number five and six. Give less punishment than is deserved. Give more help than is deserved. Don't all of us want a parent who does number five and six? Don't all of us want to be parents who do number five and six? I know all our kids want us to be parents who do number five and six. Dad, please give less punishment than is deserved. God, give more help than is deserved. Number seven, help somebody in trouble. Number eight, give somebody another chance. Number nine, comfort somebody who's hurting. Number 10, spend time with someone who's lonely. So I want to show mercy this week. Go find someone who's lonely. And even if you have to sit outside, just sit outside their window for an hour with them. You say, why? Look at this list. Is there anything on here Jesus does not do for us every day? Is there, like, is there anything on this list Jesus doesn't do for us every day? I can't think of one that Jesus didn't do for me yesterday that I don't need him to do for me today that I don't need him to do for me tomorrow. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And when you receive mercy and you learn how to give mercy, in the world we live in will just be a little better place. And you know what? Maybe, just maybe, God wanted this message preached on election week. Maybe, maybe, somebody we know this week needs mercy. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need mercy this week. I love the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 6-2. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. Jesus is saying this cannot be our cry. This should not be our cry if we also don't believe it's our calling. Let me say it again. What Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes is this should not be the cry of your heart. Have mercy on me unless you believe it's the calling of your life to have mercy on others. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And when we learn to crave mercy and when we learn to give mercy, what we're going to look forward to is one day living in mercy in our future home. We look to mercy in our future. Let me, as we wrap up, show you how this works and why the blessing of the merciful is so powerful. In first Timothy chapter 12, the apostle Paul is given kind of his testimony and his calling in a snapshot to a young man named Timothy. Here's what God did in me. Here's what God called me to do. Listen to what he says and how mercy plays in. Paul says to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. By the way, if you have a Bible, you should underline that verse. If we would all say that, 
we would all need more mercy. And as a result, we would all show more mercy. Amen. See how that works? When I think I need it more than anyone else, I give it more than anyone else. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, because I needed a lot of mercy, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Everyone say eternal life. See the blessing of mercy. The blessing of mercy is that one day we have an eternal life with Jesus that lasts forever. The blessing of mercy is eternal life. But Paul says, I received it so I could give it. Y'all see that? I received this blessing of eternal life so that through my example of what mercy did in my life, I can show it to others so they might believe into eternal life. Mercy is this gift that is a blessing to receive and a blessing to give at the exact same time. Years ago, there was a brand of shoes that was real popular and hot on the shelves called Tom's. And here's what was so cool about buying a pair of Tom's shoes. Anytime you bought a pair of Tom's shoes, they would donate a pair of shoes to someone in a part of the world where people did not own their own shoes. So every time you got a pair, they got a pair. Just by buying a pair of shoes, you were receiving something and giving something at the exact same time. That's mercy. Mercy is a gift I receive and give at the exact same time, which means the blessing, the blessing of the merciful, starting with Jesus, but continuing through us is this. The blessing of the merciful is both receiving eternal life and living a life as an invitation to eternal life for other people. The mercy that was shown to me, Paul says, was not without effect, but mercy changed me and mercy gave me eternal life. But then God used my life of showing mercy to me so that by showing mercy to others, they might be invited to eternal life as well. So are you receiving and are you giving the mercy of Jesus? Because if you are, you are inviting people into a world that that exists outside of this world, into a world that exists after this world, into a world that's been healed from the brokenness of this world. If you will receive mercy and if you will give mercy, mercy, you will be inviting people to meet the Jesus who is so important to you. And that is a big deal. You say, why is that? Let's go back to the beginning. Remember the four major God encounters of scripture, Eden, Sinai, Jesus. You say, what's the fourth Eden part two or what the Bible calls heaven? Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. My Bible actually says in Revelation 22, the title of Revelation 22 is Eden Restored. Go read Revelation 21 and 22. It's the exact same as Genesis 1 and 2, except it's restored. You say, how did it get there? Mercy. Mercy. As Uncle Jesse would say, have, have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 about mercy changing everything. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, we were invited into this eternal relationship of mercy with God. So we receive it so that we can give it. And Jeremiah the prophet said, here's how often I need to receive it. And two of the greatest verses in all the Bible, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. How many mornings of my life do I need God's mercy each morning? Because like Moses, when we receive his standards, they're heavy. 
They're written on stone. You can barely carry them. And then when you look at the world of family and friends and community and culture around you, you just block, block, drop, drop them and say, God, I can't do it. God, I can't do it, but I want to live in relationship with you. How's this going to work? And God says, I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to have compassion and action. And because I give that to you, when you receive it, you're going to give it to others. And that's going to help others receive the gift of eternal life. Wherever you are in life, whatever you are feeling, Jesus knows you. He loves you. He has crawled inside your skin to feel what you have felt. But then he stepped outside of your skin and onto a cross to die the death that is needed for your sin so that he could then bring healing, sympathy, empathy, therapy. He sees your hurt. He feels your hurt. He can help your hurt, but you've got to surrender. You've got to repent. If you don't know Jesus, what you need to know is he came to live for you because he loves you. And he needed to know how he could help you. He died so your sin could be forgiven and he was resurrected so he could bring therapy to the hurt he knows you have so he could bring healing. If you're not right with God today, but you want to be, if you've not been healed by Jesus, if you've not surrendered and accepted and embraced his mercy, today you're being called to it. All you've got to do is receive it. You say, Christian, how do I do that? Just open up your heart and tell God you need him. If you've never done that before, I'll pray a prayer. You can repeat after me. It's not the words I pray or repeating a prayer. It's the spirit of your heart saying, I need God's mercy. I need God's healing. I need God's touch. If that's you today, just pray something like this from your heart to heaven. You don't even have to pray it out loud. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, crawl inside my skin and feel my pain and brokenness and emptiness. And heal me today. I surrender my life, my efforts, my sin, my brokenness. I surrender my whole life to you. I'm sorry for trying to live on my own. I confess that I need you and your help. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Restore me. I want to follow you today. In Jesus' name, I give you everything. I do it by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I feel in my heart you're calling me to. Today, I surrender my life to you, Jesus, and I will commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer with me, if you just took those spiritual steps in just a second, Pastor Ryan's going to come up and tell you how you can connect with us so that we can pray for you, pray with you, give you some resources, begin to walk alongside you in your new life of living, having received mercy and giving mercy. But before we end, Christians, heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed, Christians. One simple question, are you showing the same mercy that you've received from Jesus to others? Are you showing the same mercy you've received from Jesus to others? Who needs it today? How can you show it this week? Who needs mercy from you? How can you show it this week? If you can figure out those two things, you can invite people into your relationship with Jesus today. Christians, would you do it? Would you not wait anymore? Would you not learn and then forget? Would you learn and apply and invite people into your walk with Jesus? God, we pray you'd help us show the same mercy we've received. Compassion in action, not feeling but doing because you told us blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek 
You told us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the pure in heart, and blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted and insulted because of you and your standards for their life. We'll be blessed because great is your faithfulness. Lord, you are faithful, and your mercies are new every morning. So we say with Jeremiah today, great is your faithfulness. We thank you and we praise your faithfulness. And God, we receive your mercy. Let it work its way through us to our hearts and our hands and our eyes and our mouths so that we might show the same mercy we've might we've received so that we might invite people into our walk with you. That's our prayer. Let us be effective in it this week. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.